Sir, I have a problem. Oh my god, let's find you a solution. I was thinking about this today, so... In rewatching this episode of Picard, if the rest of the season goes... Is as good as this episode. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to be an extremely boring podcast co-host because I'm just going to be heaping praise on the show left and right that nobody will even need to tune in because I'm just going to be so excited with how good it was. And as you and I always say, the better it gets, the less we have to say. It's true. I actually was just saying before we started that I don't have much by way of notes because it was pretty straightforward and effective. So Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it seems that the best content we could probably create is A, comparing it to Discovery. Right. Or B, getting someone on that hates it to argue with. <laughs> if we just were going for pure entertainment on the podcast. Right. Yeah. But we are talking about episode three of this new season called Assimilation. Oh, is that how you say it? Yeah, assimilation. Oh, that was ass I mile. Ass, ass immolation. Uh, so this episode is directed by um, Leah Thompson, best known for uh, her role in Space Camp. Oh yeah, and Caroline in the City. Yes, and of yeah. course, uh, Back to the Future. Lorraine's so Bane's they McFly. Bring her in for time travel related things, given her Back to the Future expertise. I wonder if that's why and she got this gig. This episode and the next episode, which, listen to this, is a seemingly, so far anyway, a pattern. So Doug uh, Arniokoski directed the first two. Mm -hmm. Leah Thompson is directing the next two. So this kind of two directors, in a same director in a row. They did that last season. They did it like in, they were calling it like directing it like in slots. Like they would have two directors do two in a row. So they're following oh, yeah. that same. Yeah, so yeah. they had, yeah, Cole, Hanel Culpepper did three, first three. Frakes did two. Yep. And then it was a back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Did you First, say? One sorry. of the writers is Christopher Monfett. Yep. Who actually? Let me make sure that I'm not. Wrong. Did you say Frakes directed some this season, or were you referring to last season? Last season. Last. Okay. Yeah, so no Frakes yet. We haven't seen Frakes yet. Monfett. Um. Okay, so he's not the showrunner. I was mistaken there, but. He is, um, and this is of, of interest to Kevin and I, and perhaps no one else, uh, grew up in Massachusetts. Oh. Yep. He's a supervising producer. Okay. He worked on a series called 911 as a producer. Writer, he's done 12 Monkeys. Not Rescue, nine one, not nine rescue 911. Uh, no, no writers there. It's reality TV, baby. Uh, uh, 911 Picard um, Okay, but <clears throat> Not the super interesting person The super interesting person here, the other writer Is Kyle I'm gonna, Kylie Rossiter Or Rossite I don't know Anyway, here's Kylie's credits When you look on the, the IMDb uh, Pocket Watch Challenge Squad Pocket Watch Captain Sparkles Ultimate Mishmash That's an interesting title Yep. Digital Superstars, and then Picard. Now okay. That, you might look at that and say, 
Uh, that's strange. Those sound like very strange shows. They seem to be. They seem to have something to do with... Um, they look like Nickelodeon style shows, but for like oh, so perfect for Picard M series, <laughs> but yeah. whatever. That's always interesting. Here's what's interesting: uh, according to her, her IMDb, yep. First off, as myself, you know, in my head, I'm an amazing writer, and I should be a screenwriter. Obviously, it's just pure fantasy. I have this. No, I have the same thought actually. In my head, I'm a, I'm a great screen. I'm an, I'm an Academy Award winning screenwriter in my head. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting to see people's, you know, their trajectory. So uh, production assistant at Universal Studios Florida Production Group. Now okay. this one I love. Teaching assistant, shared worlds, mentored high school students during classroom sessions as they designed fantasy worlds and wrote short stories. Edited student stories, compiled their writings to be published and sent out to families and potential donors. As a high school writing teacher, I do find interesting. Computer science teaching assistant intern at Universal Studios, like the park. Mm. Uh, a production intern on Jimmy Fallon, a post-production intern on Saturday Night Live. This is the writer? Yes. How long is this resume? Are you just going to give me his whole resume? Her whole resume. Her, I'm sorry, her whole resume. Yeah. And then, listen, as office assistant at Secret Hideout, and then writer's room assistant. This is like the, the classic trajectory. Oh, yeah. And then staff writer, Paramount Plus TV series, and then Star Trek Picard. What's her, what's her favorite place to eat? Um, apparently, it is the commissary at Paramount Studios. Which Star um, Trek is ironically not shot at. She just sneaks in. Yeah, or shows her thing. Look, I work for Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I find this all very interesting. Yeah. Especially the Saturday Night Live bit. Like what a what a circuitous route to become a Star Trek writer. Who would think that interning on Saturday Night Live would be part of the path to be a Star Trek writer? Yeah, I've had a weird career trajectory myself. So, but I this let me tell you something about this new season of Picard before we get into the this specific episode. I when we for the viewers and the listeners, you know, when we get ready to review and talk about an episode, we watch it at least twice. We'll watch. We'll do the initial watch through, and then watch it again to make You know, to take notes, make observations, and to be ready for this recording. I probably this season have watched each episode before we begin recording at least four times. Interesting. Which is not something. Which is not something I did last season, which isn't to say that I did not enjoy last season. But I'm just so into what's happening this season. I'm so invested in everything that's going on. I'm so invested in the character stories, the the obviously the plot of the season. I'm very invested in what's going on because I love time travel stories in Star Trek. And I love that they're doing a story that takes us back to modern times, which we have not seen since, I think it's Voyager, Future Tense, which aired in 1996. Star Trek IV, Voyager right. Home. The closest we got, I believe, was Enterprise Stormfront, but that took us back to World War II. That wasn't modern day, but it was close. And as you say... It was, also, wasn't that a fascist? Yeah. Yeah, it so was. You get that connection as well. It was. So, um, but this is like today, front and center. I mean, it's two years ahead of us, but... And as you say, you know, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, our favorite Star Trek film. 
Absolutely. So, and also, of course, famously in Deep Space Nine. Correct. Which but this is most comparable to. But they're doing all of the sort of hallmarks of a time travel episodes, particularly one that comes back to modern times, right? They have to find clothing to blend in. They have to, you know, see what the state of the world is, right? But again, yeah, particularly so on like how backward everything is. I remember Bones yes. calling the doctor medical field like a bunch of butchers or something like that. Oh, he said, uh, my God, what is this, the Dark Ages? Yes. My God, man, drilling holes in his head's not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we get uh, plenty of that here. Um, we do. And I think it's pretty effective. And I'm sure that the, uh, as I call them, the woke police, this is the opposite. Though. These are people that are trying to point out things that are woke and then say how terrible they are because they're woke. I'm sure the woke police is up in arms. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no Star doubt. Star Trek commented on society. Well... And we'll have more to say on that when we talk about the Discovery finale tomorrow. Because there's some woke police there, I think. But but I thought yeah. that when they did the when they time traveled back to modern times in this one, they kind of echoed more of the voyage home than past efforts have. Because first of all, they used the same effect to travel back through time. Which was the slingshot effect the actual effect of the time travel was uh, was very similar when they're sort of like in a haze and they're all disoriented. Rios is counting up the warp factors exactly the same way as Sulu did. And even when they arrive and Girardi's saying, commenting on the fossil fuel pollution, all that stuff, I mean, it's just like when Spock says, judging by, but judging by the pollution content of the atmosphere, I believe we have arrived at the latter half of the 20th century. So you're seeing a lot of paralleling callbacks homages to the voyage home which i always appreciate because i don't think that within the trek universe they don't really i don't really i i can't think of a moment where they've actually referenced the events really of that of that film specifically right. the time traveling of it yeah right it it, it, it it's not really but for discovery there was a point when i started to think like wouldn't it be cool if there were some kind of whales that were that were uh oh species sensei well, they, they were not that far off i don't think but yeah um yeah i thought that this was fantastic uh in the way that it that it that it handled the present mm -hmm. and um i mean i think that one of the most on the nose bits of commentaries and rafi says how could a society exist with so many contradictions and not collapse sooner than it did right yeah and even as they're getting ready to go down when i think it's girardi saying you know, don't go any place where an ID is required, a vaccination card, or anything like that, because they're not going to be able to prove any of that. And of course, as soon as they arrive, Rios gets a concussion and has yeah. to be taken to a clinic, so he's screwed immediately. I love how they mentioned vaccination chips, also. Yes. As if you yes. just have a little computer bit in you that can probably deliver whatever sort of. Um, maybe we will in two years. Vaccination you need. If we're alive in two years, maybe we will. Yeah, I think we'd have to. <laughs> that was, you know, I just realized, literally, remember, so that was the thing. Uh, don't take the vaccine because they're going to try to plant a chip in you. I oh, yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. a, is that a, oh, uh, that was a little joke about I mean, that? That was a joke? Chip. Yeah, possibly. The Bill yeah. Gates vaccination microchip. Yeah, quite possibly. But, I, yeah, I mean, I, 
and this episode is really laced with Easter eggs. I mean, this, of course, takes us back to 2024, which is the same time as when Cisco and Bashir and Dax traveled back to in Deep Space Nine's... Is seminal? Is that, a, is that an appropriate word? Two-part episode, past tense. And you see a lot... I've seen... I saw a lot of connections there. Of course, you know, Rafi literally materializes i believe inside of a sanctuary district if not she makes her way in of course she had no trouble getting in and then even getting out of the sanctuary district as opposed to cisco and bashir who could not oh, she wasn't really actually get in a sanctuary district well she 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 was because you see a sanctuary district sign okay. but she it seemed was, to be able to lock down like the one in yeah she seemed to be able to get in and out of it with ease so yeah and it looked a lot like the, uh, I don't know if this is not the appropriate term to say, but the Skid Row area of L.A. where, you know, yeah. California is having a problem with homeless people. See, and that looks very... And that's um, that's the other thing, because we're seeing that now, right? And are they taking an approach to these sanctuary districts as, like, maybe being a little less, like, locking people up and hiding them away out of sight and more just embracing, like, oh, they're just popping up everywhere because people are setting up tent cities in all these various neighborhoods. So they're not, they're still sort of in sight of everybody, but they're just designating right. that area as say a sanctuary district, or maybe the sanctuary district in LA just sucks as opposed to the one in San, Diego, in, uh, San Francisco. That's more of a fortress, yeah. right? Maybe it's like slowly they make them locked down and more like prisons. Yeah. Uh, I think so. I think one of the things that this show is doing very well is um, the, let me see, I guess like the stakes and yeah. the, mm, it's hard for me to say it without comparing it. <laughs> Do your best. I know, I'll try. Um, okay, so I think that when one feels, it starts to feel that a show does not commit to anything, it has no real stakes. Yeah. Um, it can start to feel pointless to watch it because like nothing's really gonna. Nothing happen. really matters, right? Um, yeah. yeah, right. So we have right off the bat, Elnor dies pretty early on. Right. Not only does Elnor die, but we have a character that has a difficult decision to make, and makes it. And I felt Picard that had to pick. Yeah. Right. Take power away from the Borg Queen, who they need to fix the time. Mm-hmm rupture or to save Elnor or let Elnor die because if you don't fix the time rupture you've lost everything right now and exactly the decision which I mean it is an easy decision well I yeah I mean I, and Bacard should have been like look if we manage to repair time maybe he'll never die he'll, he never would have died in the first place right which they eventually find out just yeah. in dialogue yeah yeah but, and here's the thing, and I, I'm, I'm sort of following your uh, same method here, trying to resist comparing both shows, but we have spent one full season and now three episodes, 13 episodes, with these characters. I've only seen Elnor for 13, well, actually, he wasn't even in the first episode of Bacardi, he was in the second, I think. So 12. I've spent 12, at least 12 hours with Elnor. 
and while I don't believe he's going to stay dead, I can't I can't believe that that would be the case. I can't believe they would do that. And if right. they do, ballsy move on their end. Nevertheless, this sort of fake death, I still felt it. Yeah. I still felt and, it. And he probably will come back, but to even let him be dead for more than one episode if we're going to if we're going to directly Right. Not compare. Let's directly right. not compare this to potentially killing someone in the middle of an episode and then bringing them back at the end of the episode. Well, and I'll and I'll and I'll pose the question to you again because we may have a different audience for the show. But when I feel for somebody who I've spent twelve hours with, and somebody who I know the death is probably not going to be real, he's probably going to come back, mm-hmm. and yet I still. I'm like, I still feel like, oh, no, like I, you know, this sucks. Like, I don't want him to. What does that tell you that I can easily feel that as opposed to if, like, I'm sorry, but, like, if, like, say, I'm just going to pick a name out of my hat. If Stamets died, I'd be like, "Mm." (laughs) yeah, well, okay. (sighs) Sorry, Anthony Rapp, but, like, I, I don't think I'd just be like, oh. I, I mean, I'd be sad for a little while, but I feel like I would get over it pretty quickly. <laughs> I would get over it really quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nothing oh, to do with Anthony Rapp himself. My feeling is that he's not a character. He's right. an actor who has played many different characters depending on what they wanted that season. Right, right. Um, so. Okay, actually, no. I'll make a kinder comparison. When Culber died, remember when Culber died, the fake in season one? I... Nothing. It, it did nothing for me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because well, he wasn't, well, because he wasn't in every episode. Better. Yep. The, we know the characters better. They're more consistent. The one flaw I actually will give this show is that, remember on the first episode I asked, what is going on with Rafi and Elmore? Mm. Because it just seemed like suddenly they were super close. And I see yeah. that now that was there because we needed... Right her to react this way so that was a honestly that was a little bit that was a little strange didn't feel i think to use a term that's overused but yeah uh, and yeah because i had to fill in the blanks that because he was a cadet and she was a instructor but they could have sold us on that a little bit more see that's what i that's the same conclusion i'm reaching i mean and that's how i'm kind of legitimizing that a little bit because in the first episode, you know, they were both stationed, I believe, on the Excelsior. And she was going to be sort of watching over him a little bit. But that's great. I mean, now, had that been, had that been, say, a plot point that had been established at the end of last season, maybe I would have, and it happened over the course of the time we hadn't seen them, okay. But, yeah, it's not, I still, I'm still okay with it. I still kind of feel it. But the last season ended with Raffi and Seven's relationship, and we've not really seen much of that so far this season. We get a little bit of it in this this one, but yeah, just, we've seen them avoid talking about it. But we haven't actually seen that relationship depicted. Really, it seems yeah. like it almost seems like they had it, and they like had, went through some sort of awkward breakup, or not really, like, maybe like not a breakup, but like s- separation, just staying apart from each other for a while. Apart something, yeah. Yeah, they like they're seeing the results of that in their awkwardness together now clearly yeah. are two people that were in a relationship right are not but I, I i don't i don't recall raffi and elnor having any very deep scenes last season 
No, they try to pack in a bunch this season. Yeah. But, uh, it's all right. You it's know, okay. When a show is doing, when I feel that a show is doing most things right, yeah. one little thing like that is not a big deal. Now, it's if fun- this had happened on a show we were watching and maybe we felt there were a lot of problems with, this would be another right. uh, I, straw to break our I said, button. I think I said something to you to the effect of I don't know I think I said it on the podcast where um it's amazing how when something is good mm-hmm. and yet there are maybe some other weak points within it it's easier to overlook those whereas some where if something is not good then you're then you're sort of like going at everything everything is wrong like it's not just like one major thing is wrong everything is wrong so right, like this would be another like if we think that a show had never gotten any characterization or it's like right. another example of right. you know, an unearned death or a, or a reaction that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Like you would have just folded in all the other things that didn't work into your criticisms and package it up to say like this show just doesn't work. Whereas yeah. in this case you're willing to forgive maybe like minor things like that because you enjoyed the overall hour that the uh, episode ran exactly. and it was telling a good story. You, you, yeah. You, you, yeah, you give them a few. You get a few places you can get a little right. past. Yeah, you give them some um, leeway when it's good, but when it's bad, you don't. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing's One off thing the table. I really like is that, uh, I mean, this could be seen as comparison, but I won't make it long directly. Picard, yeah. um, when Rafi heads out to, you know, I'm just going to go and take care of things because he died and that's terrible. Yep. And I question your leadership and all that. Uh Picard pointed out, said, Seven, you need to go with her. She's far too emotional to be, you know, making important decisions here. That sounded familiar. Which, well, sounds the opposite of familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, you don't want someone making decisions based on that kind of a grief reaction. You're too close to this. You're too close to this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It it worked out really well. Hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, I was wondering also, do you think maybe this will be something that could be part of Q's criticisms because he certainly could have handled it better. He handled right. it in a very Picard way, which right. is fine. Right. Um, so it's almost like I would have liked, uh, I don't, well, I couldn't see Q caring that like he's not, um, you know, emotionally supportive of his crew. <laughs> well, I mean, Q always wants to teach Picard something and we just don't know what that is yet. And there's always some underpinning of him helping Picard in some way. We still don't really know what that is because you. Cha- he says his line was, "You insist on not. Ch- you, what does he say? You insist on changing in every in all the ways except the one that matters." Yes. So, so I yeah. think I don't know what I that is. I, I have no theory. Argue really. that his. No, but I liked it because it was like, yeah, this is how Starfleet handles things. It's right. Like, yeah, this dude's going to die, but, I mean, it's not even a decision. If we save him, we destroy our chance to fix time, and we're stuck in a fascist hellscape future. So it's like, that's not even a decision. Right. There's no argument to say, yes, but let's save him and allow the fascist hellscape future. You know, right. It just didn't make any sense. So... He did. The, he made the call. He's the one that's in charge. He made the proper call, and and there we are. Mm-hmm. That's it. It sucks. And he said, even despite every impulse, saying 
not know like this is wrong we have to push through our grief and continue on the mission exactly yep he needs to um michael burnham has to meet him yeah i mean don't they have any files from him on like how to leadership I, I hope so. Yeah, but so and they they're coming back to 2024 because this is where the this sort of unknown mystery entity person character the watcher is. Now I want to ask you do you have any possible theories as to who this watcher is? I will note that Soji is not with us. I, but Soji wouldn't have been made yet. What's that? Soji would not have been created yet, right? I I don't know. I I you're right, but I, I'm I think because this is Q, nothing I, for me. Nothing's off the table. Right now, I think that it would make the most sense that it was Guinan, but that doesn't make any sense. I no, I actually do think that's that's my leading theory and that's also kind of a leading theory as well that it could be that it seems like it could be Guinan. Another one is Laris or like a version of Laris. Oh yes, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So um I I'm going with Guinan and the reason why I'm going with Guinan is I I've I have two theories. So, the leading theory goes back to that quote that I've said on the show multiple times from yesterday's Enterprise, where Data says, theorizes, but it turns out to be true later on in Time Zero, that says, perhaps Guinan's species has a perception that goes beyond linear time. Guinan was always able to sense when something was wrong with time. Yes. That was the case in yesterday's Enterprise, and then later in time's arrow so the, and the second part of that theory is in the first episode of the season we see picard beam down to that historic district in la and go to guinan's bar it appears to me in the trailers we that we've seen for the season that he beams down to that exact same location in modern times so i'm thinking to myself is guinan's bar still there back then has it been there the entire time Right. right. That's like, sort of how I thought Guinan would show up because they would yeah. find themselves in the past and Picard would know. I know someone who knows about exactly. temporal disturbances. It, it, like, it sort of, and this is like a Back to the Future reference, actually. Um, it reminds me of the end of Back to the Future Part 2 when Marty is stranded back in 1955 and he says to that guy from Western Union... Who says to Marty, like, do you need help? It's when he gets the letter from Doc back in 1885, and Marty says, There's only one there's only one man who can help me. And it's Doc. Like he there's a there's a there's a version of Doc Brown in 1955 that he can go to. And I feel like we are in a similar situation here. Picard saw Guinan back in the uh, 1800s in Times Arrow. I think it would really surprise me if there's no Guinan in the year 2024. I'd be shocked. Right. If, the only thing is that she could be in space somewhere, not necessarily on Earth. I don't know. I mean, she was on Earth in Time's Arrow, so I'm well. I, I, that's that. That's not a problem for me. That isn't a problem for me. So, and if anybody, by the way, is in this is is in our Twitch chat, and has any theories about any of this, please comment 
in the chat. We love hearing about it. We'll, you know, we'll definitely mention it. Anything you guys say in the Twitch chat, we will mention. So, um, you guys are obviously free to partake in the conversation with us instead of just sitting here watching. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. But is the leading wow. theory for you Guinan as well? Well, it was, yeah, but also at the same time, I feel like it's the only one that makes sense of who we've met. So it could be someone we haven't met. Right. Or it is, um, you know, a, a, a surprise from our from the trick world or something. Yeah. So I just pulled up some of the big theories that are out there. So we've got uh, Guinan, of course, it seems to be number one, Laris or a version of Laris. I don't know how that makes sense. Uh, Soji. You're, you're looking at the trekmovie.com article? I believe I am, yes. Yeah. Um, a song, which wouldn't make sense. Picard's mom. Oh, good God, I hope not. Vulcans, just generally Vulcans. <laughs> I believe um, Adam Soong is on there as well. De- uh, yeah, one of the Soongs, yeah. Because we do see them, and we do see Brent Spiner in the trailer at some point. Yeah. So. Yep. Vul. And I'm sure this is soon alive at this time. I, I honestly, I hope that we don't, they forgot, I hope they totally forget about Picard's mom, honestly. I mean, I'm glad we haven't seen her since I, the first episode, let me put it that way. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to mind seeing that flash, seeing Picard's mom again in a flashback. I just, I think I don't want it to be a critical part of the storyline. Yes. Yeah. I'm very happy we saw it and we haven't seen it since. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, don't give me a. Uh, I don't want a uh, a Taka like B story where it's gonna, where I'm where it's going to take me out of what's going out of the main story that I care most about. So, okay. So they're saying that there's a, a Vulcan, just a random Vulcan. But I think Another that article also mentions like a lot of legacy characters as well, and Gordon Burnson. That hasn't. Oh, another Q. Yeah, that hasn't really and and and. You know, people have theorized that as well. Like, you know, they thought were species ten C. You know, were they the um, were they the Organians? Were they the you know? They had a bunch of different. Th- always legacy. They thought the DMA was a legacy. Was the Omega particle and all of these theories have always turned up wrong. It's, it never points back to some legacy thing we've seen before. It's always something new, and I think we need to stop with the right. The Organians, yeah, is the last option here. Yeah. So. Yeah, Ganyan makes the most sense. Ganyan, also, it seems that they've got some clues here in the um, Borg Queen references. Right. Watcher as a she. Yeah, and I also, and the thing is, I don't think that this Watcher person, that I think that's just going to be the mechanism to get them into the next part of the story. I don't think that's, I don't, I don't know if that's going to be a mystery that's going to be held off, a reveal that's going to be held off until the end. Oh, no, no. It's not I think work. the show doesn't do those things. It, it sort of does. It reveals its mystery. It's like in waves, like in stages. Yeah. And so that get, next you get, mystery. Yeah. You get the next step, and that sets, sends you to the next step. It's not one big mystery box. I have multiple mystery yeah. boxes, but you open up one, and then it takes you to another one. Right? Yeah, it kind of takes you through a maze, in a way, yes. Very yeah. satisfying to watch. It's very much like, um, remember last season, they were saying that Romulan that you kept calling Barbara? <laughs> yes. Kept saying the destroyer and looked at Soji saying, you are the destroyer, you are the destroyer. And even that didn't even end up being the case. Like it wasn't, they weren't holding that back either. Like they, right. they weren't dangling that, that carrot for too long. Right. Yeah. And plus I have the confidence knowing in this show that it's all going to play out just fine in the time that they, in the time that's allotted to tell the story. 
over the course of the next six episodes, seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something I found interesting. When they're scanning for the Watcher, um, and, well, two things. Seven says, look at the fires. It's already starting. Yeah. Sky's darkened. Global and warming, no dude. light, And then no life or something. That seemed like a weird non sequitur. Well, I think it's a callback to the previous episode when Q shows them the sky and they've got like that barrier around the sky. I think that has something to do with and Seven saying it starts here. And they Mm -hmm. do say like this is where the time divergence begins. So I think that I mean it's clearly a commentary on you know climate change, right? Um, California is on fire a lot. It is. It is. So where they are right now they're seeing sort of the birth pangs of where it's going to head in the alternate world that they were in, in the, uh, in the future. So. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So when they are scanning and when, um, Rafi says that she picked something up near MacArthur park, was that Rios's scanner or was that the, no, that was something else because she also picked up Rios's comm badge after that. So, because okay, remember, she said like when they were scanning, she said if like it can pick up, t- it'll pick up like any alien technology or anything to that effect. So mm-hmm. she saw something, but then the next thing she saw was Rios's com badge. Rios, who when he materialized, as I mentioned, got a concussion and is now off in a clinic, and some getting treatment. Basically, what's happening to him is is what Girardi said not to do. So he's now in a situation where, like, you know, he has to present his... Well, the doctor said, I don't need to see your ID. I don't need to do all that stuff. But um, he's sort of the one who's at the most risk right now because he's at this clinic getting treatment and this little kid's messing with his combat. The doctor's son. Right. Basically, yeah. Okay, so MacArthur Park. Now, I knew the, the name from the song called MacArthur Park. So I looked, at, I looked up MacArthur Park. Really cool. So it's this natural spring lake right in the middle of L.A. Yep. Um, and it's named after General Douglas MacArthur. Yep. And it's in a neighborhood that's not such a good neighborhood right now. So there's a lot of crime in the area, um, mm-hmm. but they've been working on redeveloping. It has no it has no historical significance to the Star Trek universe, I should say. So it's not no no episode is, or movie has gone there in the before. So Got you're all, you're all good there. Yep. Yeah. No theories to spin there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know what that. Although the fact that it's a natural spring lake. Right. And you know that's about all we have to go on. If it has anything to do with MacArthur Park. I think so, it's just a location. I don't know if I don't know if the significance yeah, means anything. Yeah. Probably. I don't know if there's any significance to it. Yeah. It looks very cool though. I think I would like to see it. Although somebody yeah. Somebody did mention, sorry, to go back to the watcher thing for a second, which I don't think is the case at all. Um so on Voyager when they come back. So on Voyager when they come back to modern times, then modern times it's 1996 and they do travel back to Los Angeles. And some and Sarah Silverman appears on the show, in a very early acting role. Oh and right, right. Somebody suggested could it be that character, and I'm like, I doubt it. What? <laughs> I doubt it. I highly doubt that. Yeah, that would be really weird. I mean, they already have. Um, It'd uh, be a nice TV touch. Tomorrow. She worked at the Griffith Observatory, 
And like, okay, well, it'd be yeah, that'd be funny. It'd be a nice touch, but yeah, that would be kind of funny, actually. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm just looking at the image you sent now. So MacArthur Park. Yeah, I. I, cool. I mean, it just looks like a very cool place to visit. Yeah, I've seen this in movies before. Um. But yeah, in the Trek universe, this has no. There's no significance to that in the Trek universe at the moment. So. Unless there's whales in there. Yeah, I think, I would say stick a pin in that. And let's see, but yes, yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Now, Picard and Girardi, I gotta say, by the way, so Picard and Girardi don't join them; they stay aboard the La Serena and deal with having to get some information on the Bor from the Borg Queen because the Borg Queen has all the information mm -hmm. about who the Watcher is and where the location is. Mm -hmm. And, but I gotta say. I said this in the first episode of the season. The Borg are genuinely terrifying again. And I really got to hand it to the show for managing to accomplish that. Because, as I've always said, and as many other fans have said, that Voyager, I, we always thought kind of, the term was defanged the Borg. And they've the show has really done an excellent job of making them scary again. Particularly the Queen, right? Like, they have the Queen... Very much like she is in first contact, where she's not really attached to the rest of her body, although she has arms she has arms, but in the movie she didn't have any arms she before she attached to her body. But mm -hmm. she's very, very scary. And it's like yes. it's very good the way and I love this actress who's portraying her. She's so good. Mm hmm um, Yeah, and I really like the idea of hacking the queen by Allowing yourself to be assimilated, or at least begin the process. Right. It it, it kind of reminded me of when Seven had to potential had to um, temporarily be a Bor the Borg Queen last season. But and one of the one really nice touch is what they've done in this episode, and even the in the past few episodes when they've shown her is that they're actually playing the Borg theme from First Contact underneath. Nice. Which I think is a really, really nice touch. I mean, you want to talk about attention to detail. Mm, that's very yeah. nice. Yeah. I also do think that the framing of her body against the... I don't even know what that is on the La Serena. I think it's but the... But it looks uh, like a stained glass window in a church. Like the one that would be high up over the altar. And the way it's glowing green and yeah. her body in the middle of it. So, looks very, very cool. Interesting thing about that. So I think it's... I actually think, I believe it was TrekMovie.com making observations that there's an there's a, there's a odd amount of butterfly imagery in this episode and mm. uh one of the things they pointed to was like that shot of the Borg queen like it had a very butterfly like effect to it mm. but like in the clinic and you know you see butterflies like you know drawings of them like stuck to it's a fridge or referenced. yeah and the butterflies are do you so do you remember the line how they're how they were referenced i i missed it both times but i wasn't really looking for it so i forget what do you remember what they said Something about, like, don't make a butterfly moment, which I assume means that not true thing where a butterfly flaps its wings in Africa and that wind goes across the ocean and becomes a hurricane. Oh, okay. In, you know, the Caribbean or South America. Well, you're making me think of that time travel movie with Ashton Kutcher, The Butterfly Effect. I never saw that, but... Yeah. That's the, that's the concept, yes. Right. And Jeff Goldblum mentions The Butterfly Effect in... Uh... Jurassic Park, as I recall. I forget what yeah, his exact line um, was, but yeah. It's one of those things that makes it into a lot of writing. It's, it's a nice. Uh, yeah. So. Title writing. Yeah, I'd have to. Um, 
yeah, I'd be curious about that. Like, what is, I don't even know what the butterfly effect as a concept is. And is it what you said? Yes. Okay. That one small thing can that, have this big impact. Yeah, that's all it is. Well, so that makes sense in the, in, in this context, right? Because if this is where the time travel, if this is where time diver, diverges, it could just be one small thing. That yes. sets yeah. him off so in the wrong. Yeah. And yeah, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, don't step on a bug in the past, and then you'll change the future, like all that. Cool right, stuff. right. Yeah. Um. I do. What did you think of the fact that um, the Borg Queen was impressed by Gerardi and her ability to hack the information? I re I I watched that scene like four or five times. I love watching. Can I just say, Allison Pill's really killing it this season as Girardi. Um, not that she wasn't last season, but I'm, I'm f I am like her performance far more this season. And I love watching all these scenes with her. And I love the way, like she's, I love how trolly she is with the Boar Queen, particularly in this episode. And it's great. I, I love it. And, and and the Borg Queen's been pretty trolly with her too. She has. <laughs> kind of a back and forth. Basically calling her a lonely cat lady. Right. Well, and it's funny because like it's I like having the Borg Queen in this space where there are no other Borg drones around. She's just by herself. And yeah, she's still she threatening. Is, yeah, she's still threatening, even though she shouldn't not really be that threatening. Right, because it wouldn't take her long to assimilate somebody and then before you know it, you've got a whole right. Exactly. All you need, it only all you need is one. Hey, it's a butterfly effect, right? All you need is one, and then yes. yeah. Eventually, she'd have the whole Earth. But there's because Girardi, she doesn't really get assimilated, but she sort of gets into. She gets access to that sort of consciousness, that state. Yeah. Of board consciousness. Saying it's like the process of assimilation had started, and right. honestly, it was a little hand wavy. But I did like how. Picard said, well, she, she already knows my brain, so if we tried to do it, it would only take her a few seconds, but she doesn't know your brain, so it'll take, it'll take her a while first to right. know, scope it out. That, was, that worked for me. What I'm fascinated by is how does this change Girardi? Are there going to be, what are the long-lasting sort of effects of it, right? Because she's being really weird, and, but in a very funny way. Um, is she going to be a threat down the line in some way? Right? Right. I don't know. So you think you planted a Borg seed in her? Well, in past treks, I mean, they particularly... I'll try to make this short. There's an episode of Voyager in Season 5. The episode's called One where a Borg drone is accidentally created by being... It's like the Doctor's mobile emitter gets fused with some Borg nanoprobes, and now suddenly they have this 29th century Borg drone on the ship, right? Mm. And Seven decides, like... Seven and Janeway have a conversation, and, and she's saying, we can't let the Borg get access to this drone because they'll assimilate it and they'll, you know, assimilating future technology, they'll be more powerful. But Seven's getting concerned because she's saying he's becoming increasingly more curious about who the Borg are. Because this drone is not linked to the Hive in any way. But he mm -hmm. wants to know more about them. And the big concern with Janeway is her saying, 
So you're afraid that if he gets access to that sort of information, he may be drawn to the collective. It's like the the because the Borg strive for perfection, and it's like, and I and I'm and I'm wondering if something similar is going on with Chirati. Did she see right. something that may be very tempting that she may want to do more of it? Is she tempted mm -hmm. by the lore of the Borg perfection or the Borg's perception of perfection? And is that something? Is she is she going to be drawn to the Borg as well? So is she going to be a threat like that in some way? That's that's what I'm thinking. That that's what sense. I'm wondering. I should say. Yeah, that that could that could work. Yeah. Obviously, that would cause a bit of put a bit of a wrinkle in their plans, right? And then you know if that right. happens, Isn't it's going to be at the worst time. You got to have some wrinkles. Of course. Things cannot progress smoothly. Of course, yeah. So. With Rios, he's down at this clinic and he's getting treatment for his concussion. Of course, he loses everything. He loses his combat. Your kid gets it. Mm -hmm. He's kind well, of. You, well, how did you like the fact that just his beaming to just a little bit above the ground? That was funny, because it was funny, and then it turned very serious. Right. Um, but I like how he just kind of got screwed immediately, right? Um, that was pretty funny. But it's true. I mean. They just beamed out. They didn't even like confirm where exactly they were going. They just beam him up in the middle. He's just, and I like how. And I, you know what the thing is? I love how they're just beaming out like in full view of everybody. Like they're not usually like when they go to the past. They they try to they kind of like go into like some wooded area or like to conceal themselves. They're just beaming out right in front of everybody. Yeah. That yeah. kid says a I seven. Like are you a super? Yeah, that it was, was seven. Cool. Yes. Beam. That was cute. Yeah, um, and very much in line with today, right? But. What's that? And very much, yeah, like a superhero, like very much in line with with uh, today. Yeah, you're a superhero. Would probably, a kid would probably think first. But I like how they're just like just way out in the open. I mean, Rafi appears in the middle of the street. Seven appears in like somebody's yard. It seems like um, Rios like way up in the air. I mean, like nobody's. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, they're, not, they're not being very careful. If they're supposed to be looking out for butterfly moments, they're not. Right. They're being very callous about the way they um. The way they uh, the way they appear in front of society, but even yes, if it's one small change that created the fascist future. How right. many potential changes are they making? But because they were very careful with where they landed the ship, they were like, "You don't want to crash us in the middle of a city." Okay, but you're going to just materialize in the middle of the city, yeah. of, of city, though. Yeah. Here's a question: Where did they wind up putting the ship? I think they did it. They don't say it, but I think it's uh, the Picard family vineyard. Because right. it goes back generations, okay. but that does not really like. He says, "I know where," but then he doesn't say anything. Then home. Home. That's right. Home. But you know, there's no particular emphasis placed on it as soon as they get there. Yeah, so right? that was interesting. And I, but I thought to myself, like, okay, but there's a house in front of you. Is there nobody home? Right. And aren't there people there, like uh, picking grapes that are um, going to say, "What the hell?" Is unless this Picard thing? knows for sure that there was nobody. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it was just weird point. because like you saw the house like right in front of them. Yeah, that's true. And I was like, "Isn't somebody gonna see that?" So, um, I did notice one thing. So, I said when this began that the uh, episode had was laced with Easter eggs. Right, there were Easter eggs sort of everywhere, and they were all used very tastefully, all done very very well, and. Given that we're back to the year 2024, again, to remind everybody, the same year that Cisco, Bashir, and Dax travel back to in Deep Space Nine, I did notice 
other than the sanctuary district, something else that really jumped out at me that may that might offer a clue to what's going to happen to Rios. So, if you recall at the end of the episode, the Homeland Security officers come and raid the immigration. I'm sorry, yes, right, immigration comes and raids the clinic. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you remember at the beginning of the episodes, um Girardi said like, don't get into into a situation where you have to show, like, your ID and, as you said, vaccination chip and everything like that. Which, of course, now he is. So he's, they they put him up against the wall. They're, they're cuffing him. And one of the things they say is they mention that he has no UHC card. This is the same thing that the Sanctuary District officers asked Cisco and Bashir for in oh, past no. tense. Now, to get you up to speed, a UHC card is an, is an official, it's like a government official card that states that you are not homeless. So this is what you would present to somebody in that time so you don't get thrown into a sanctuary district. Okay. He doesn't have one. So now, we, in, in the trailers, we see Rios like in a bus and we see Rafi coming to rescue him. So, I, so it's, I, I think it could be one of two things. Either he's going to get, either he's getting deported Right. Or that bus is taking him to a sanctuary district because he has yeah. no way to prove that he is not homeless. So they could just be, but they could just be deporting him. I think that's a more likely thing. I just think that line's sort of important because that keeps in line with the continuity of the 2024 scene in past tense. So um, I just wanted to bring that up. I don't know that the sanctuary districts might are going to be as vital as we thought they were going to be, but. We'll have to see. Right. That could definitely be what's happening with him. And I just want to say a fine use of Star Trek to comment on the world today here. Oh, absolutely. Right. So the fact that someone that has a accent of a Spanish speaker Mm -hmm. and doesn't have any ID on them is enough to have them be, you know, taken in is, you know, it was so, in some parts of the country, that's a very real thing. It was uh, so people cringy. Face. People, it was so people cringy. who are, are American citizens have been deported to Mexico, right? Um, and ha- not able to prove for a long time that they actually are U.S. citizens. It right. has happened. So, um, it's so cringy. Like it's so, it's so scary. Yeah, man. Like, that, that was that your life where you have like, to. Uh, Constantly have that on your mind. Yeah. Well, it's it's scary in that how true it all is, but also the way that real world just mirrors what was seen on Deep Space Nine too. It's very, very, it's very, very scary. It's very strange. It's very surreal in a lot of ways. Yeah, not not much. um, Like no struggle with no struggle with having to keep in line with the twenty twenty four continuity shown on DS Nine because it's just the world we're in now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, we just actually in our city, and you know, I, I don't know where you come down on it, and I don't, I don't, I'm glad I don't have to figure it out. But we had this very large homeless encampment in Boston, mm-hmm. where it's a lot of uh, near a lot of agencies that um, drug rehab places and whatnot. Where in Southie, I believe, right? Street on the sidewalks in South Boston, I think, right? Tent city. Yep. Um, and it just recently was uh, shut down. Yep. And yeah, what what can you do when you have a society with such um, 
such wealth and such poverty in one society as Rios says, I mean, as Rafi, um, Rafi says, mm -hmm. uh, how could a society exist with so many contradictions and not collapse sooner than it did? It, don't you, like, in some ways when you were watching it, to see that, to hear it, weren't you a little, um, weren't you a little unsettled by it all too? Oh yeah, because you saw how, how that could happen to anyone. Right. You know, you get into it, when people get into an accident and you, um, you know, when you're unconscious, especially, I mean, people call ambulances for you. People do all kinds of things. And to find yourself in that kind of situation is it just yeah. a matter of luck. Yeah. It's, um, and that's why I think this episode is so effective because not only was it a great hour of science fiction, it was just a very good example of, you know, I hope to say that when, when this season of Picard is done, that I can say that these episodes of the season like are in line with some of the best Trek that's that's out there because I'm really getting the Star Trek vibe because you were saying even in the first episode again going back to the Stargazer Bridge like it had that feel that genuine Star Trek feel to it and mm -hmm. this episode and even the one last week does as well like with the whole time traveling the comp you know the familiar tropes of time travel the commenting on society and where we are as a society right now i mean they just know exactly how to do it and it's so effective and it's so like when i say to you did you feel unsettled like and i don't even mean to say that like as a negative like did you feel unsettled yes and i'd say my next thing would say good because you probably were supposed to feel unsettled watching this yes yes because that's what star trek does yeah it was unsettle us but you know when it when it gets the opportunity it comments on the world around us and inequality and but i think also like even watching star trek when i was younger like these sorts of things would have just gone over my head because i would have been watching it for the you know for the science fiction adventure and you know the characters but seeing it as an adult now and being able to see the larger themes that they're trying to comment oh, on yeah. it just it makes me look at Star Trek and appreciate Star Trek on a whole new, on a whole new level. And I think that Picard is doing it so well, is doing that element of it so well. Last season, last season was great too, but it was more of a science fiction. It was far more science fiction than commenting on what was actually going on. This is like very much um, in your face. What's going on? Yes. Yes, a bunch of things. Like one, uh, just how not that far away we could be right. from fascism. Mm -hmm. Right, a little change in twenty twenty four, and the country could be fascist. I don't think that's a that's a. Um, I don't think that's too far fetched either. Unfortunately, it also goes back to some of the haters saying things that, like saying Picard's too woke and this and that. Right, and I was actually. I won't go into excruciating detail for the audience, but you know exactly what I'm referring to. I was having a disagreement with somebody that I knew about the wokeness of current Trek last weekend and even the weekend before last. And one of his def one of the defenses, because I said to him, you know, well, Trek's always been like this, and, and I cited examples, and he said to me, but it used to be more nuanced. It wasn't always, it wasn't in your face. And I said, 
And I said, right, but that's not what you said. You said it was, you're saying it's too woke, and I'm explaining to you why, you know, the weaponized yeah. word woke. You know. But, so is it about it being woke or being perceived as woke or the level of nuance that is applied to it to comment on something? And I said, that's ridiculous because... Sure, it's been nuanced, but it was also past treks have always been in your face about it, too. And I was like, I said to him, I cited the Vietnam War examples. I said, season three of Enterprise is a direct response to September 11th, right? Like, it's so obvious. That's what that is. Those are very in-your-face comments on the world that on the world around them at the time. Yeah. I mean, you, you can do it both ways. You can be nuanced, but you can also be very in-your-face about it. I think it just depends on what issue you're discussing. And I think that people view television as an escape, which it certainly is from the world around you. But, you know, don't forget that Star Trek was also commenting on the world around us. It wasn't just an escape. It was commenting yeah. on what was going on. Yeah. Uh, it, it, all right. You know, I always bring the haters, right? Always. <laughs> so here's one. Uh, Star Trek propaganda, saying that this is the name of the show. And someone else, Star Trek was great at exploring ideas, but now it's just on the nose 2022 propaganda. <laughs> yeah, it's not where we're coming I, I, I have a theory about people like that, and I feel like the Trek they've seen in the past, they think the Trek mostly consists of. Wrath of Khan. What? The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, like it's more science fiction, space battle alien encounters and that sort of thing when that's and I think that's what they think Gene's vision is when that's not what it is at no, all. I or think like vision. Right. I mean, if you watch the original series, I mean there yes, there are some flat out science fiction not every episode of the original series was a comment on something. No, no, a lot of it was just You know, like half fight. of it. I don't even know how many, I, I mean, out of the 80 episodes, I don't even know how many you would say apply to a theme of the day. But, I mean, let's just, for the sake of argument, say it was half. And, then, mm -hmm. I mean, the Dooms, like, uh, I was going to say the Doomsday Machine, but that's sort of like a thing for the, like, you know, like Balance of Terror. It's just, it's, it's, an, it's a submarine story. It's enemy down below, right? It's not a comment on society or anything like that, right? So, where no man has gone before is the same way, and... So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, there are some genuine science fiction ideas in Trek, but there's also the episodes and films that comment on stuff. Some are nuanced. Some are very on the nose about it. It's yeah. just... But even when it's... There's nothing wrong with either way. Show, even let's just say it's the most, you know, just adventure. Right. It still takes place in a society that thinks that the fact that people used to have money is funny and the fact that there used to be homeless people or people that were poor is like ridiculous and how could people let that happen so it right. always takes place in a society that is this sort of utopian um everyone gets their needs taken care of right future. yeah everybody has everybody has what they need as yeah. picard says in first contact the acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. Yeah, that's, that's it right there in a nutshell. Yeah. But I applaud them for doing it so well so far. Definitely, definitely. Did you catch the, what I will call a roundabout 
um, Lower Decks reference. Remind me. So the doctor's son wants to watch Rick and Morty. Yes, 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 yes. But he, he has to do something first before he can watch Rick and Morty. Yep. Given um, that the creator of Lower Decks, the former Rick and, Rick and Morty alum. Yeah, somebody... Sure had, that was a little nod. Yeah, somebody had commented on the, um, the Trek BBS how now, like, Star Trek exists in the Star Trek universe. Because of because Star Trek is referenced on Rick and Morty, and you know, so oh, okay. yeah, yeah, look at that synergy. Um, I'm just, so I want to get us the trailer for next week so we can watch that, all right, and comment on that. So, uh, I've got it right here, so I'm gonna put this in the chat for anybody that wants to. Watch and then I'm gonna DM it to you. Stupendous. All right, and uh, we're just gonna what? Okay. Go All right, so we're just gonna uh, pause for one moment while we watch this, and we'll be back with you in just a sec. So the name of this episode is called Watcher. And as I mentioned, that's the, so this is the episode where it shows Picard beaming down into what looks like the same block where Guinan's bar is in LA. So I think it's going to be her. I think, I, I think we're going to see Guinan next week. I really want to know who that person with the white eyes is who's walking behind Picard. Yeah, it seems like one of those um, cases where people get taken over, you know, that's the way I saw it. Yeah, like a little, like possessed. Yeah. Yeah. What what's up with um Q's uh uniform there? It says the uh Europa mission. Well, so the Europa mission, that was a even so when Rafi and Seven beam down and Rafi's inside the sanctuary district and when she says that line, as you said, there are so many contradictions in the society. There's a Europa mission sign on one of the sides of the buildings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like, and it looks like his patch. Let me just take a closer look at it. Um, but it looks like his patch says. Oh, yeah, stop it. Europa, the Europa mission, and the bottom says Expedition Europa. Okay, that looks like a Michael Lakuda design patch as well. I think he did that. Um, and he has a newspaper in his hand. That's fun. Yeah. So I think he's just. Yeah, he's gonna be. He's going to show up. So Q's obviously going to show up intermittently throughout the season, right? So I imagine he's going to show up whenever, like, he needs to offer them a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a clue. Right. Um, but I, I just, I can't say enough good things about the season. I really can't. I'm I'm so invested. I'm so on board with it so far. I'm so into it. I love it. Yeah, I really like that it's... Um like, let me think. I sort of feel like it may not be a show that for me is going to have a lot of rewatch value, but I'm enjoying the ride and the unfolding and how it's very satisfying in that you get a little bit, you move to the next bit, you get a little bit more. Yeah. You go to the next part. I don't I never feel like we're spinning our wheels or killing time or spending time on things that are 
right. not important. It all it's it's you know, it's all serving the story very well. I always find that shows that have a season long story arc don't have a lot of rewatch value. Um, yeah, because you wait watching it to find out what's going to happen. Exactly, and then, you know. and then once you know, and, and this is one of the points I'm going to bring up when we talk about the f- Discovery finale next week, or um, tomorrow. Because just the way they do this, it, it, I think it's hurting the rewatch value of the show. Um, but I'll obviously get into that tomorrow. But, um, I, I don't mind. I mean, I tried to, watch, I tried to rewatch Lost I mean, I've, re- I've rewatched Lost a few times because the premise of that show kept sort of changing after like season after like three seasons, right? It, in four, five, and six, it kind of veered off into different directions, but they reinvigor they 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 kept kind of rebooting that show in a lot of ways by modern ways, and you know, in other shows like say The Walking Dead, they would change locations every time; they would go somewhere else, and but ultimately the same thing would happen. They'd find a new place to. You know what is it? Herschel's farm, then the prison, then they. Yeah, I think they were safe, and then they weren't. And then they weren't, and so yeah, those things, and so that's when it began to get that. that that's actually when I kind of pieced out of that show. Yeah, but, they would think they could trust someone, and then they couldn't. Right, but no, I mean, just on a general level, I think that, um, yeah, when you do a season-long story, or even a series-long mystery box, as it was. Um, I think it hurts the rewatch of the show. It definitely keeps me coming back week to week, but then once it's done, it's done. You know, I I I have watched season one and two of Lower Decks probably at least three times each. Because mm. yeah, they're episodic. Kind of you put on while you're doing other things. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. Here's something I have a question about. So uh, I'm looking on the Wikipedia. I had it up to check who the writer and the director was, and it says season three. And it says the third and final season is expected to premiere in early 2023. Yep. Of Picard. Is that true? It's been announced that that's the final for certain. Yeah. Will Wheaton asked him about that on the ready room as well. And he said probably, yeah. Even though Akiva Goldsman said more seasons could continue, but the show was designed to go three seasons. Yeah. So... And here's another, uh, you know, it's Wikipedia, obviously, but the third and final season expected to premiere in early 2023, period. Jonathan Frakes directed for the season, period, with three references. Yeah, they filmed, they wrapped the season. Yeah. Season three. He didn't direct the whole season, did he? No, they filmed the seed, they filmed seasons two and three back to back. You're right. Yeah. And so, and I think we're now seeing what that release schedule is going to be. So there's going to be certain times of year. So to give you an example, like Lower Decks always comes middle of July and runs through October. It's been that case twice already. It's going to be the case three times for the third time. Discovery usually starts sometime in the fall. And Discovery follows up on that. And then um, Picard comes right after that. And then Strange New World. So, So I think that's sort of the schedule we're looking at. So the order of the shows that we see now. So... Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Discovery, and then you just do the... And you, you've put in Prodigy somewhere in the middle of there fill, to fill in gaps, I guess, which I think is a shitty thing to do. But I think that's that's sort of the schedule that we're looking at. So, And I think that's why, if I could throw a theory out there, mm-hmm. 
I think that's actually why we're not seeing anything on this Section 31 show. I, th I honestly think the Section 31 show is waiting for another show to end. And I should mention that Discovery next season is going to be 10 episodes. I don't think they like having the shows overlapping like this. I think they want to keep them separate. Yeah. So I yeah, think... They don't need more. I think that's why they, because if you, starting this year, because Discovery began in October, but starting this year, I mean, it, well, Discovery came back in, well, no, I'm sorry, Prodigy was playing at the same time. Trek's on every week through the rest of the year. Got it. Really? Through the rest of the year, huh? Dis well, oh, yeah, we don't know the official release date of season five of Discovery. History right, tells me, history tells me it's going to come this October. And so, when does uh, Strange New Worlds premiere again? May 5th. Okay, so we're going to have Strange New Worlds and Obi-Wan Kenobi on at the same time. Strange New Worlds, the premiere is actually going to premiere the same day as Picard's season finale. Right. Yes. Yeah. I cannot wait to talk about Strange New Worlds. I'm so excited. Yeah. It'll be about two years to the it'll be about two years to the day of the series announcement actually. They announced it in May twenty twenty. And okay, um turnaround time. Yeah. The word came, I texted you like crazy. We gotta do a show tonight, we gotta do a show. We gotta do it right now. Okay, but I'm at work right now. Yeah. And so was I. Like it was just you know. And I, it was just because you, you, you were the naysayer. You kept saying, "Nope, they're not gonna." I don't think they're gonna do it. I don't. I don't see it happening. Yeah, that's exciting. Did you sign that petition? I don't even remember. I don't think so. <sighs> Damn you! Yeah, because you didn't believe it. I don't generally sign petitions like that. <laughs> you don't? No, I don't. I don't know. Has a petition ever made a company make it anything? Yes, Strange New Worlds. Come on. That's spin. That's marketing spin. I like to think that it had at least a little bit of influence, but I don't know. Nice. Anything else to discuss on this before we wrap up? Any haters stuff? Any other observations? Not a thing. Not a thing. All right. Well, everybody who's watching us on Twitch, thank you for tuning in. Anybody who's listening after the fact, thank you for listening. You can... Follow us on Instagram at Star Trek We Trust, in Star Trek We Trust Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Star Trek We Trust. And until then, we'll see you live again tomorrow evening to discuss the season finale of Star Trek Discovery Coming Home. <laughs>